0: So if you would turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter number four, we're going to start in verse number 16 Luke chapter number four and verse number 16 and the title of this morning's message is called Jesus must Jesus must now we're we're familiar with the term Christmas, but this morning I'm changing it to Jesus must because when we talk about Christmas we get misconstrued with everything else that goes on in the world. We think of presents, we think of eating too much, we think of the schedule, we think of where we got to be when on Christmas Day, and then we, we, we almost can't wait for Christmas to be done, but the problem with Christmas is it's not really Christmas because it's lost its full intention, so this morning I want to get the focus back on what Christmas is really about, and that's Jesus, amen. And when we put it back on Jesus, we're going to learn how to truly experience Christmas. So would you stand with me this morning as we read Luke chapter number 4, starting in verse 16, and it says, and he, talking about Jesus, came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and, and as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. Now I want you to make a, a specific reference to this, it says nothing to do with the sermon, okay? And it was Jesus' custom to be in church on the Sabbath day, is what that said, Right? So if Jesus had to go to church every Sunday to be perfect, what do you think that means for us, amen? That means we need it Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, That means I need it more than one day if Jesus had to go one day a week. So as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And when he stood up, he was handed the, of the, the scroll of the prophet Isaiah, and it was given to him. And he unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, and this was what Isaiah prophesied about Jesus himself. And he said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, the recovery of sight for the blind, and to set liberty to those who are oppressed, and proclaim this is the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down, and the eyes of all in the synagogue. We're fixed upon jesus lord We pray right now that at the reading of your word this morning You would truly enlighten us to who you've called us to be and to what you've called us to be as the body of christ And lord, I declare that supernatural freedom right now takes place in this place And so we truly begin to experience the power and the kingdom of god like we never have before in jesus name We pray and all god's people said amen You can be seated now. Those are some of my favorite verses in all of scripture talking about jesus and what he came to do And so as we begin to talk about um, what we're getting into today, what is Christmas really? Like really when we get down to it, what really is Christmas? And what does Christmas have to do with all the stuff we celebrate and everything that we do? And we need to understand this, Christmas shouldn't just be a holiday, it should be a lifestyle. Christmas should not be a holiday. It should be a lifestyle as we'll learn here in just a little bit And if we only celebrate break Christmas as a holiday and not as a lifestyle We're gonna miss the full meaning of Christmas And so to get a full understanding of what Jesus was walking into when he was born into this earth If you'll read in Luke chapter number two it has the birth story of Christ and it talks about when um, Jesus was being born Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world And so Mary and Joseph got in got in and went down to Bethlehem where they were to be registered because he was of the house and of the line of David. And that's what the Bible says. And so as he begins to do these things and get there, I want to read to you just a little bit about the, the, the Caesar. It says Caesar Augustus issued a decree. And this Caesar, he was, he was the known God of the world at this time. And I want to read to you what the Roman world thought about this man that they called Caesar Augustus. So we understand the fullness of what Jesus was coming into. But listen to what the people, as they're crying out for a Savior, are saying about Caesar Augustus. And how we say the same thing about the true Savior, the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And this goes to show how desperately the world's been looking for a Savior. And so this comes out of uh, Horsley's book, Jesus and Empire and they began to declare this about caesar it says he is the most divine caesar and we should consider him equal to the beginning of all things for when everything was falling into disorder and tending towards delusion he restored it and gave the whole new whole world a new aura about it this is what they're saying about their god caesar and then caesar he is the common good fortune of all he is the beginning of all life and all vitality All the cities unanimously adopted his birthday of the divine Caesar as a holiday in the beginning of the new year, whereas providence, which he regulated our whole existence, has brought our life to the climax of perfection in giving us the the emperor Caesar Augustus. They go on to say this about him, whom he, Caesar, is filled with strength for the welfare of all men, and who being sent to us. And to our descendants as a savior and has put an end to all the wars and has set all things in order And he had becoming god himself manifest in the flesh Caesar has fulfilled the hopes of earlier times in surpassing all the benefactors who preceded him Whereas finally the birthday of caesar augustus has been the whole new world's beginning of the good news or the evangelon. That's where we get our word evangelism from. Concerning him, therefore, let this new era that we've entered into begin with his birth. And this is in this book um, of of Jesus and Empire. It talks about the cult of the Roman world and how Caesar, the divine Caesar, was everything that came into, that, that the world was looking for at this time. And so when we begin to talk about Jesus and Jesus when he came, and do you remember the story of the Magi when Jesus came? Do y'all remember that story? Say amen. And, and some of you realize it, they call it wise men, some call it magi, whatever you want to call it, but they showed up about two years after Jesus was born, and I'll give you another message on that some other time. They showed up about two years after Jesus was born, and they go to King Herod who is the, who is the king over the area of Israel and Jerusalem at the time where Caesar's over the whole empire. He put kings over all the land places and, and different countries that were there, kind of like governors is what we would call them, and so he put them over those people, and so when the magi from the east came, and they settled in and they went to King Herod and said where is the one who has been born king the whole world begins to freak out because they are over here declaring Caesar is the God king and now we have people from another language, another tribe another nation saying we've seen the signs in the heaven, we've seen the stars in the east, we've seen how it stopped over Bethlehem, we've come to see the king the new king and it threw the world in disarray When's the last time you begin to recognize Jesus for who he truly is and it throws your life in disarray because you realize you've had it all backwards? You realize we've had Christmas about the wrong thing, not really about jesus must, and celebrating him. But when is the last time we've let God speak into our life in such a way that it began to stir us up to a point that you want to throw everything out that you've ever done in the past and say, I've done it all wrong and I want a brand new start. You know, as a believer, many times we get so caught up in the traditions and the things of this world that we miss the whole meaning of what God's truly intending. And so when Jesus came on this earth declaring he was king himself, it threw the Roman Empire into disarray. The, the, the way they crucified Jesus, they did it in and, and this fashion of how they crucified him, they did it to make a statement. Because as he was coming declaring he was king and going up against the God King Caesar... They began to say, nobody will defy who we really believe is God. And so they crucified him in such a crazy way, in such a dramatic way, that no one would ever rise again to say that they were king. But little did they know, when Caesar died, he was dead for good. But when Jesus dies, just three days later, he's coming back. He's rising again from the dead to to prove truly who the king of kings and the Lord of lords really is. And so by the time um, Jesus was born... And, and the Roman Empire was in place there were 400 silent years from the time the last prophet spoke Till the heavens opened up declaring the birth of Jesus Christ 400 years of complete silence Where God did not speak to his people through a prophet? And there were 400 silent years I can't even fathom what that would be like for the anointing to leave the church today and not show up again for 400 years I mean can, can anybody even imagine that? It would be a brutal time in the in the life of the church and so when they, began to, when they began to be 400 years of silent times, and it was broken with the angels when the wise men came from the east, Jesus comes on the scene. And this is where Jesus takes up. And so I want you to realize the animosity that Jesus is living in as his birth comes forth. And now we fast forward all the way into the, about the 31st year of Jesus' life, into Jesus' ministry, when we're in Luke chapter number 4, and he's in church every single Sunday, and he stands up to read... In the synagogue and this is what he just read and I'm going to read it to you again And it says and he came to nazareth where he'd been brought up and as was his custom He went to the synagogue on the sabbath day And he stood up to read And the scroll of the prophet isaiah was handed to him And he unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written and he said the spirit of the lord is upon me Because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor He has sent me to proclaim liberty to those who are captive Recover the sight of the blind set liberty to those who are oppressed and proclaim that this is the year of God's Favor so we know that Jesus was coming and he wasn't coming to establish a religion He wasn't coming to establish a holiday. He was coming to establish a new kingdom Where his rule and reign will never end? But if he's coming to establish a kingdom by what power would Jesus begin to establish this kingdom? By what power would Jesus begin to manifest this kingdom that we talk about and what is the true reason For Jesus coming to this earth why we would celebrate a holiday called Christmas And so as we jump into the scripture this morning, we're gonna find out these things and so why did Jesus come? Why did he come? This is something that that we all think well duh That's a silly answer, but when I ask you to pinpoint scripture and verse. Why did Jesus come? A lot of the church goes silent because we know he came to forgive. We know he came to heal. We know he came to set free. We know he came to get us to heaven one day. Yet yeah, all that's kind of good, but the real reason he came was for this. And the reason for Christmas is this verse of scripture right here. The Bible says this in John chapter number 10, verse 10. It says, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, but Jesus said, I came. Now, I love the way the King James Version says this. I don't usually equate back to the King James Version very much, but the King James Version says, I am come that you would have life and have life more abundantly. Now, when he declared, I am, he, everybody in the Jewish culture knew what he was going at. Everybody knew that he was going back to the time in Exodus when God spoke to Moses and he says, Moses, I am who I am. Amen. And so when Jesus came up and said, I am come, that you would have life and have life more abundantly, they were saying, oh, he's declaring he's God. So the reason Jesus came is for you to have life, and have life more abundantly, and some people around Christmas time are more like the walking dead than the living and the vibrant and the believers we're supposed to be, right? We're ready for Christmas to be done, we're done with the shopping, we're done with the trees, we're done with the lights, we're done with it all, but really we've missed it all, all the way around. And so Jesus came, he said, I am come that you would have life and have it life more abundantly. So he came for that reason, and the kingdom he was going to establish is a kingdom of not just new life, but a kingdom of everlasting life. Now listen, your kingdom of everlasting life does not start when you get to heaven. It started when you got born again. Your kingdom of everlasting life doesn't start when you cross over the Jordan and the sweet by and by like all those old hymns of old sing about. Your new life starts right here, right now, in the midst of this worship service, even this morning. So some of you, if you're kind of by humbuggish right now, say, I need the I am to come and give me life, and give me life abundantly, right? And if you're ever down or suffering in your life, you just need to declare the reason the I am begins to come. And so we know that Jesus, when he comes, he didn't come to start a, a holiday, he came to start a kingdom, which affects every area of our life. So what is the answer for what we're looking for here? The answer for what we're looking for here is simply this. You must begin to let life infiltrate every part of you that's existing in death. I'm going to say that again. You must begin to let life infiltrate every part of you that's still existing in death. Let me tell you what that means. It means some of you are dead a hope or a dream in the future because you've been so disappointed in the past you better bring your past junk and bring it before life and let god begin to give life abundantly to what you think is dead and dying some of you in your marriage you think it's dead and dying when god's saying if you'll just bring it before me i'll let life life abundantly infiltrate that life of death that you're existing in If you'll bring your issues of your household before God, the death that spews over and the death that spews out of our ungodly mouths sometimes. Amen? If we'll bring it before the giver of life and let life begin to infiltrate that death, we serve a God who raises the dead back to life. And so if we serve a God who raises the dead back to life, it means he can change whatever circumstance you're in to a circumstance of life and vitality in his new kingdom that he's establishing. So now that we know that Jesus and the reason he came is this, how is he going to do it and by what power is he going to do it in? Now this is where I want to really get into the message. All that other stuff is just good stuff. This is where I want to really get into this message because this is where God begins to change things. John 10.10 is the reason for Christmas. Luke 4.18 is the essence of Christmas. John 10.10 is the reason. Luke 4.18 is the essence. Now there's a word I just used, essence, that I'm going to give you the definition in that we're going to use. Essence is this. It is the attribute or set of attributes that make an object or substance what it fundamentally is and which it has by necessity and without... It loses its identity. I'm gonna say that again. Essence is this: it is the attribute or set of attributes that make an object or substance what it fundamentally is, and without it, and it has by and which it has by necessity, and without it, it loses its identity. And so now Luke 4:18 says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to do those five things that we've just mentioned over and over and over and over again. And so the the reason of Christmas is John 10 10 why he came is to give us life the essence of Christmas is Luke four eighteen. Now you can't really have a true Christmas Without Luke four eighteen because that's the reason Christmas really came Now some of y'all are saying how does that even connect well? I'll tell you every time you say Merry Christmas. This is what you're saying Merry means to be happy and joyful, right? Christ means to sell, or it means the Anointed One in His anointing. Mass means to celebrate. So you have be happy and joyful because we're celebrating the Anointed One in His anointing every time you say Merry Christmas. So every time you say Merry Christmas, Ralph and Lisa, every time you go out there and say, "Oh, it's Merry Christmas," you're saying, "Oh, we're really celebrating the Anointed One in His anointing." Amen. How many of y'all had an anointed Christmas lately? So we all need to let that life-giving power infiltrate the death that you've called Christmas because every time you say Merry Christmas, you're saying, really, we're here celebrating the anointed one and the anointing of God in our life. We're not celebrating the presents, the trees, the gifts, the candy, the good food, all that's reasons for celebrating. But the reason we say Merry Christmas is because we're saying we are celebrating the anointed one and his anointing. Do you remember all that junk I read about Caesar? Even though they declared him as God king, he was an oppressive, abusive king. Who his way of walking in power was keeping everybody else in poverty. So why do you think Jesus said, I've got good news for y'all who are poor. I'm going to recover the sight of the blind. Those of you who have no vision and your hope is gone, I'm fixing to bring it back. Get ready, those who are oppressed, I'm fixing to set you free. Why do you think Jerusalem started rejoicing? Why do you think they started declaring him as God King, Jesus Christ? Because he came to set them free from everything that they were going to do. Now those five attributes is what fundamentally Christmas is all about. Now, essence is this. It is the attributes or set of attributes that make an object or substance what it fundamentally is. So what Christmas fundamentally is is preaching the good news to the poor. Proclaiming freedom to the prisoners recovering the sight of the blind release those who are oppressed and declare that we're in the year of God's favor That's what Christmas is. That's the set of attributes about it. Now listen Which it has by necessity? Now I say this for a reason Christmas has these five attributes by necessity because if you take these attributes away, it's no longer Christmas right for example, I know Damon's favorite cookie is an oatmeal raisin cookie. Come on. Everybody said amen. <laughs> Mine's a chocolate chunk with a big old piece of chocolate in it. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> well, we'll go with Damon's cookie. It's an oatmeal raisin cookie. It has ingredients in it by necessity that make it an oatmeal raisin cookie. One is oatmeal. The other is raisins. Right? And probably a bunch of other stuff. Y'all who cook, I know what else goes in there. You put a little cinnamon in there, whatever you want. But it has oatmeals and raisins by necessity. If I took the raisins out, it would no longer be an oatmeal raisin cookie. It would be an oatmeal cookie. It would just be an oatmeal cookie. So Christmas is this. It's the set of attributes that it has by necessity that make it Christmas. Oatmeal raisin cookies has a set of attributes by necessity that make it an oatmeal raisin cookie. If I take the oatmeal out, it's just a raisin cookie. (laughs) That doesn't sound too good either. Just an oatmeal cookie. I like some raisins in my oatmeal cookies. So if I take one of those ingredients away, it is no longer what we say it is. Therefore, it no longer is the truth of what it really is. With Christmas, if we take away those five attributes that I've been talking about, the preaching the good news to the poor, the setting liberty to the captives, the declaring it's the year of God's favor, the recovery of sight from the blind, and releasing those who are oppressed, if you take those five attributes out, it is no longer really Christmas. It's just a title over a holiday. It just is a title over a holiday that becomes meaningless over time. And then has no long-lasting results. Now, how many of y'all ever heard the big controversy? It's not happy holidays, it's Merry Christmas. And all the world, church world gets flustered. Really, the world's being more honest than we are because there's five attributes we've taken out of Christ or out of Christmas. It really is just happy holidays for a lot of us. But this year, when you begin to put those five attributes back in Christmas your family comes in and they're not feeling good because of all the stuff they've been doing, you got the ability to set them free. You know you got the family that's coming over that you just don't like. And you'd be happy if they just didn't show. Some of y'all even pray and they get sick so they ain't gotta come. (laughs) Come on now. Whoa. Have we taken so much of the attributes out of Christmas? Is it really Christmas? Because what we talked about, uh, the, Luke four eighteen, it's the essence of Christmas. You take those five attributes out, and it's really not what it fundamentally is supposed to be. So we got Christ in Moss, which means to celebrate the Anointed One and His anointing. But if we're really celebrating the Anointed One and His anointing, if we take the anointing out, what are we celebrating? If we take out the freedom for the captives, what are we celebrating? If we take out the the recovery of the sight for the blind, what are we celebrating? If we take out this is the year of God's favor, what are we celebrating? Because Christmas means to celebrate the anointed one and his anointing. And so every time you say Merry Christmas, that's what we're really celebrating. But if those five attributes aren't there, it's really not what you're saying it is. And so this morning, I want us to come to an understanding of what the anointing of God is. The anointing of God is, in my layman's opinion, is this. It's where heaven touches earth. It's where heaven touches earth. It's where all the things of heaven begin to touch earth this morning. Some of you would rather stay here in earth and not let heaven touch it because you're happy in your, in your ways. But I would rather let heaven touch earth and bring life into your death. I would rather let heaven begin to touch earth and bring life into a lifeless situation Some of you guys' career paths are on a on a fast road to destruction and you're saying God There's no way out. Well God says let me bring life into your death And I'll raise a new career up from on the inside of you be that you're anointed to do Because that's where I put my little bit of heaven and your little bit of earth for you to bring heaven to this earth And change the world you live in see Christmas is all about bringing life into a place that's dead The nation of Israel wasn't just dead. They were dead. They were defeated. They were trampled upon They had no hope they had no self-esteem. They had nothing to look forward to they had no vision There was 400 years where God didn't talk to them and then Jesus comes Then Jesus comes I said then Jesus comes And this is why I said this morning, it's Mary Jesusmas, not just Christmas. Because when I say Jesusmas, that puts your whole perspective back into order. It puts your whole perspective back on the anointed one and his anointing where God says, I'm not willing to let not just Israel, but the whole earth die. But I'm going to put my little bit of heaven up here on your earthly problem down there. And watch how much just a little bit of heaven can take over the whole earth in a matter of years. And what is happening in your household? Why don't we let a little bit of heaven just get planted in and begin to take over the whole earth with a little bit of heaven that God's trying to put in your life this morning. The anointing is this. It's where heaven, the things of God, touch this earth. And that's when Jesus Christ is the word of God who became flesh in John 1.1 and dwelt among us. And he came into this earth. The anointing of God came into this earth. So we know that Jesus is the reason for Christmas in John 10.10. Luke 4.18 is the essence of Christmas. But by the power that God is going to establish this new kingdom that he's establishing is through the anointing of God himself where we can't do it here, but God says, I can take all of heaven and put it in earth and change it in minutes. And this won't be the first time it happened. Do you remember when uh, the the Israelites were leaving uh, Egypt? And you got Moses and they cross the Red Sea and they go up there, but then they wander for 40 years besides that point. Do you realize they were a nation in abject poverty and in less than 24 hours when they marched out of Egypt, they were the richest nation in all the earth? And if God can do that back then before the anointing of God himself came and manifested in this earth, why do we have a problem believing God can fix our earthly situation? I want to encourage you to have a right now type of faith where you believe right now that the anointing of God of heaven can touch your earthly situation and raise it from dead to life in a matter of seconds. And I'm talking about that type of an anointing. I'm talking about that type of a Christmas this year. And that is what Christmas is fundamentally all about. It has those attributes by necessity, but without those attributes, get this, it loses its identity. Without those attributes, it loses its identity. Like I said, you take the raisins out of an oatmeal raisin cookie, it's just a cookie with oatmeal. It lost its identity. It lost it It's no longer an oatmeal raisin cookie So my question is why are we getting mad at the secular world for changing our tradition of Merry Christmas to Happy Holidays When we've taken out the essential attributes that actually make it Christmas? What if you and your families called each other this year and said we're not giving presents We're gonna come and lay hands on each other this Christmas and have the anointing fall yeah. Then we can all go buy presents because everything's changing What if we went into work and said, you know, instead of having all these things that we do and we give a bunch of money to a bunch of stuff that nobody will really remember later, why don't we pray over and have the anointing of God come upon us and we find out where we can make a tangible difference in this earth and change the world? Without those attributes, it loses its identity. In America, I can't speak for the rest of the world, has Christmas lost its identity? You answer it. You answer it Christmas has lost its identity So much so that even in titling this message. I had to change the title of the message To Jesus must not Christmas We've lost the identity But can I tell you just as I've said earlier that when something's even looks dead Jesus said I came to give it life again. I came to give it life again. I came to bring life back into the church Jesus is not about a holiday or about a religion. He's about bringing life back into a dead situation He's about bringing the anointing of God back into a people a person a place even a thing that needs a touch from God like never before So this morning here's what I want you to begin to consider Here's what I want you to begin to think of as as I'm closing down this message I want you to begin to ponder on this question. Where do I need the life-giving power of God in my life? Where do I need it? because listen I can't just come to you and read your mail all dadgum day and say this is where you need the life because you won't receive the anointing. But when you recognize the death and bring it before an almighty God and say God it's time for life you've recognized and opened yourself up for heaven to touch earth.